Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I'm your host, Hayden Grove, joined by our Cavaliers beat reporter, Chris Fedor. And finally, the 2022-2023 Cavaliers season has begun. Media day on Monday. The whole gang was there. Yesterday, the Cavs opened training camp practice. Cavs were back at practice today. So, Chris, the season has started, finally. It feels like it was a long off season. You know, I thought the Cavaliers, we, we thought the Cavaliers might, you know, host a or hold a playoff series, and they didn't. Um, but now, after an exciting and long off season, it is finally here. Long off season? Who are you talking to? <laughs> what do you mean? I feel like it took forever. My God, I was talking to people inside the organization at Media Day. And they kept saying the same thing that I said. It was one thing after another after another. And right when you thought, like, you were going to get a break in an actual offseason, something else happened. So, I mean, you went from the draft, then you went into free agency, then you went into summer league. And right when you were about to get a break, it was Donovan Mitchell stuff. And then there was some coaching shuffling that was going on with the Cavs. So, I don't know what you're talking about, long offseason. No, thank you. Well, I mean, it, you know, I think that when you look at the draft, it was kind of exciting for the Cavaliers, but like not super exciting because they weren't at the top. Yeah. Then free agency, yeah. they didn't do a whole lot. You know, it just felt All like right. there wasn't a whole lot of movement, but there there wasn't, there wasn't at the same time. And then, you know, the Donovan Mitchell thing really, really sped things up quickly. Yeah, and the Donovan Mitchell thing, obviously, that was the big conversation at Media Day. It was always going to be the big conversation at Media Day, right? Like, because that was our first time to talk to Darius Garland and Evan Mobley and Kevin Love and all the different players about what they felt about Donovan Mitchell coming to the team. Um, the emotions that they experienced the day that they heard about him getting traded to the Cavs. All of those different things came across um, at media day as a group that could not be more excited about the ability to land somebody like Donovan Mitchell. And look, they were going to be excited coming into this year because they felt like they were building something, right? They won 44 games. They advanced to the play-in tournament. Um, and they felt like they were headed in the right direction in the Eastern Conference. They were the kind of team that could take the next step with some more improvement, with some more experience, all that kind of stuff. There is a belief now that this group has of, of we can or why not us that exists in large part because they added one of the 20 best players in the NBA. I mean, that was kind of my takeaway from Media Day being there. I mean, outside of, you know, the well, I have some other takeaways that we'll get into that I thought they could think are pretty fun. But Great. It, it just it being there and, and the excitement around, you know, they seem genuinely very excited to be, you know, with each other. And they just, I don't know, there's just a sense of unity and, uh, and, ex and, and a real sense of like, you know, we got a squad and like, we're not, you know, we, we ever, maybe not we've arrived, but we're ready to go. You know, they still want that underdog junkyard, you know, junkyard dog mentality. But I think that yeah. they, they have a confidence now about them. Like, Hey, you know, we, you're not going to mess with us. Right. But there's a big adjustment that this group is now going to feel. And I don't think guys understand it until it actually happens, right? You can talk about it. You can mentally try and prepare yourself for it. But it's kind of like the playoffs, right? You don't know what it's like until you're actually there. You have to experience it. And for this group, 
they're about to shift into a mode of they're no longer flying under the radar. There is a new reality for this group. Um, a big part of what they were able to accomplish last year, they snuck up on teams. Other teams didn't take them seriously, um, yeah. especially at the beginning of the season, right? And they were able to capitalize on that, and they deserve a lot of credit for that. They're still going to compete really, really hard. They're still going to have that chip-on-their-shoulder mentality. They're still going to have a bad taste in their mouth from getting bounced out of the play-in tournament by Brooklyn and Atlanta. But they are now becoming the hunted. They are now the team that has more of a target on their back. And I don't know how they're going to deal with that. I don't know how they're going to handle that. Because these guys haven't felt that before. They haven't experienced that before. And um, I'm going to be very, very interested to see. Like, one of the reasons why Donovan was brought here is because he has that experience, right? He's been through a lot throughout the course of his career. He's seen a lot throughout the course of his career. So I think they're going to lean on him a bunch as they try and make this transition. Because we talked about it on the last podcast, Hayden. It's a lot easier in the NBA to go from bad to good. It's harder to go from good to great. Um, And that's the step that they're going to be trying to make this year while also getting targeted by opposing teams and opposing teams taking them more seriously than ever before. It makes a lot of sense. It makes, it makes so much sense. Um, you know, you bring it, I called them the off season champs. I mean, I think, I don't think you could argue that there was a bigger acquisition for a team than, than Donovan Mitchell to the Cleveland Cavaliers this off season. I think, you know, that, that was the biggest move, the biggest kind of, okay, the Cavaliers who were pretty good last year have now added, you know, like you said, a top 20 player. I think, I think certainly they become the hunted. Um, But I think the thing too, is that, you know, in the Eastern conference, I don't think they're like the number one, like, I think like when you look at the old Cavaliers teams, LeBron, I mean, that they were the best team in the East every year and they were the hunted literally because they were on top. I don't know if the Cavaliers are the only hunted team. Uh, in the of course not. conference, I think they're, you know, and I think that may make things a little more different than, you know, just being the uh, just being the the number one top dog hunted team. Yeah, I mean, this isn't LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Love forming a big three, becoming the next super team in the Eastern Conference. This is different. You're right. We've talked about it on this podcast. I don't think they're on the same level as Boston and Milwaukee. Um, Boston obviously has a bunch of issues that they're going to have to work through. Um, It's going to make it complicated for them to repeat the season that they had last year when they represented the Eastern Conference in the NBA Finals. But I think Boston and Milwaukee, with their talent level, their experience level, and and what they've actually accomplished, um, I think they belong on a different kind of tier. Um, So we're looking at the Cavs kind of lumped in, depending on how you feel about the Eastern Conference, everybody's going to view it in a different kind of way, but they're lumped in with, you know, Miami and Philly and Brooklyn, if Brooklyn doesn't implode, um, and and probably Toronto, uh, depending on how you feel about the Raptors. Um, But with that, obviously, comes expectations, greater expectations than, than what they've had in the past just something that these guys have to learn to get through right and i think that's something that will only come as you know with experience i don't think that's anything that like the cavaliers can do right now um but other takeaways from media day i mean we got to talk to 
you know, Ricky Rubio and Kevin, as you mentioned, I mean, what were your other kind of takeaways from the interviews? Because that was your kind of focus on that day. I don't know that I honestly had a whole bunch of them. Um, I think one thing that I continue to hear over the last couple of days is just how different Evan Mobley is coming into year two and how different Karis LeVert is coming into this year after, you know, two months of not being himself, two months of not being comfortable, two months of being less than 100%. But I think of those two things, the Mobley step is really, really important for the Cavs because we've talked about how Donovan Mitchell raises their ceiling and the different things that they could accomplish both this season and into the future with Donovan. But if Mobley becomes the guy, if he becomes a superstar, if he becomes that fourth all-star, the conversation surrounding the Cavs is a lot different. And everything that I have heard about Evan Mobley and everything that I have seen with Evan Mobley this offseason and the other day at Media Day should make Cavs fans very, very excited. Like, there was a clear mission that Evan Mobley had this offseason to get bigger, stronger, and just more polished. And I think they're going to unleash Evan Mobley in a different kind of way than they did last year, in part because he's more comfortable and in part because he's more experienced and he's more confident. I think there were times last year that the Cavs believed there was more that they could get from Evan but they didn't want to put too much on him too soon. And I think he's going to be unleashed this year. And it's a really exciting idea of Evan Mobley um, coming off a major offseason, coming off a brilliant rookie year, and taking yet another um, enormous leap on a team where, you know, he can still blend into the fabric of what they're doing offensively and defensively. He certainly looked bigger. I mean, he looked like he definitely bulked up. Yeah, and that's huge. I mean, that's kind of the one thing we've been, you know, maybe not waiting on, but that's the one thing that I think that was needed to be addressed with him because, you know, he he doesn't necessarily play like a big, but he still is going to get banged around and and he's going to be inside and he's going to have to kind of have that uh, a little bit more mass on him. So I think that he, you know, he definitely came in with a mission and uh, I think – he was kind of the talk of the day that everybody said, man, you know, he really put in the work this offseason, and uh, that's huge. I mean, you know, I, I I posted a picture of the three of them. You know, Cleveland's new big three yeah. is uh, Darius Garland, uh, Donovan Mitchell, and Evan Mobley, and that's no disrespect to Jared Allen at all. But, I mean, that's going to be their – that those are going to be their three horses, um, guys that are going to kind of c- can take over games and uh, and really contribute offensively. Evan's shoulders are bigger and broader. His muscles are more defined. He definitely has some biceps to him. Um, they put him on a different workout plan. They put him on a different dietary plan. There's a big story that I'm working on about inside Evan Mobley's offseason. You know, he worked out with Kevin Durant, all that kind of stuff. Um, it is noticeable. And, and everybody that you talk to in the organization, like the first thing that they say to you unprompted about what happened this past offseason is Evan Mobley like the step that Evan Mobley took into becoming the superstar that they think he can be. 
Yeah, I mean, it's I can't wait to read it because I think it's going to be super exciting um, to see kind of his evolution. I mean, you know, we talked last year. He's he's the he was the centerpiece, and I think Darius Garland. Right. Kind of, I think Darius Garland kind of took over that you know that role as the centerpiece as he really improved and became an all star and all that. But you know, they 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 certainly have a big three there, and I'm excited to see you know Evan Mobley grow. Um, and Donovan think, Mitchell said something really interesting yesterday, Hayden, about Evan Mobley. So Donovan has known Mobley since Mobley was in high school. Mm-hmm. And he was joking about how quiet Mobley was back then. And he said in the last couple of days um, that he's been around Evan Mobley, like he has said more, he has been more vocal um, than, than any, any time that he had encountered um, Evan over the previous years. Like if you combine all of those interactions over the previous years from when Evan was in high school and college and and when they worked out together and when they went on open runs in Los Angeles, if you combine all those times, he has heard Evan louder, more confident and more sure of himself in the past two days since training camp opened for the Cavs. And, And that just goes to show the level of comfort that Evan now has in year two in his second training camp, he's got to be the mouthpiece of the defense, right? He's got to come out of his shell a little bit more. They need a little bit more ferocity, a little bit more intensity. Um, and if that happens, like, look out. I think, yeah, I, I think that it just goes to show that what last year did for Evan. I mean, I think he became, you know, he, he just got that confidence and got that, that, you know, knew that he could play in the NBA and was arguably rookie of the year. And uh, I think that all, you know, that will only continue going forward. Um, other, other observations from me from media day. Uh, Robin Lopez is absolutely <laughs> hilarious. Um, yeah. I think he's a great addition to the team. Just, he was mic'd up and, you know, just was doing all the, like doing everything with the smile on his face and was laughing and joking and just he's just hilarious. I think he's going to be kind of a glue guy for this team. I think that that you need those kind of guys. He kind of reminds me of like a a Channing Fry type or a Richard Jackson type. Like, yeah, like a guy that you know will do the work and will put in the work and knows how to work, but also brings that kind of levity that you need. So I, I think that that's huge. Um, Jetty Osman, you know, he snuck under the radar all year long. He and uh, you know, he was there and, and kind of continued to sneak under the radar. But uh, I just, I you know, when I saw him, I was like, oh, my God, I forgot he's on the team. That's kind of how crazy yeah. this offseason has been. And then, you know, Ricky Rubio, I think he's just such a, a wonderful presence. And I think every, you know, just everybody, everybody he walked by was like just, you know, you could just feel that the good vibes and the good energy. And I think he brings that to this Cavs team, too. So I think that bench is going to be um, – I think that bench is going to be fantastic. I think they're going to be, you know, just what this Cavs team needs. You know, they have that youth, but they also need a little bit of that veteran presence. And they they have it in big ways with Ricky, with Kevin, with um, even a guy like Karis LeVert um, and Robin Lopez and the gang. I think that, that yeah. um, it's pretty tremendous. Remember times last year when we were talking, Hayden, that the Cavs were giving opportunities and more minutes to guys who probably didn't, at, at the stage that they were at in their respective careers, um, they probably shouldn't have been getting those kinds of minutes on a team that was chasing down a playoff spot. Remember when we talked about that? 
and you know, a big part of that was injuries and those things are very, very difficult to predict. But as I look at the depth and the versatility of this roster, I think to myself, you know, if guys go down, it's going to be painful, obviously, because no team is 14, 15 deep, no matter who they are, not even Golden State, right? Not even Miami, not even Boston. Um, but there's enough depth here where if the Cavs have to go into their bench, a, a long way down into their bench, they're still going to be pulling guys that, you know, are NBA-type players. Um, they're still going to be bringing guys um, into the game that, that have either accomplished things in, in, in the NBA or, you know, are good enough to accomplish things in a bigger role. And, and I think that's really important. Like Ricky Rubio, technically, at this point, because he's still recovering from a torn ACL, is the third point guard on this team. When he comes back healthy, Howell Neto becomes the third point guard on this team. You know, that's a lot different than, than some of the guys that they have run out there in the past. That's a pro. That's a veteran. That's a guy who's been a starter and a backup in the NBA. So to have that level of depth, that point guard is big. And then you can go through some of these other positions, right? You can go through shooting guard. You can even talk about small forward because right now the Cavs are having this battle um, for the starting small forward spot. And there are six guys, according to J.B. Bickerstaff, that are in the running for that spot. You know, even if guys don't get that, they're still playable if things happen or if guys don't play well in in the roles that they're going to be in, right? You can go into your bench. If, if Dean Wade doesn't become the starting small forward, then you can go into your bench and you can bring him off the bench, or you can go into your bench and bring Dylan Windler and, and see if there's something that you can get out of him or bring Jetty Osman off the bench or whatever the case may be. Um, they have more NBA-type players, legitimate NBA-type players than they've ever had before. And that's a really, really exciting um, situation to be in. It obviously makes things difficult on J.B. Bickerstaff when it comes to lineups and, and roster construction and combinations. Um, but, but they're not going to be relying on, like, Denzel Valentine or Kevin Pangos or some of those other kinds of guys that they have in the past. Right. You mentioned a point, a point that I definitely wanted to get into, and, you know, um, it's definitely one of the bigger things in the Cavaliers team. The uh, small forward spot. Um, you said there's a bunch of guys that are in the mix for it, and training camp started yesterday. So what are your early kind of observations? Um, who is the front runner for that three spot? And, you know, I saw, you know, maybe, you know, I think things fly around the Internet, but I saw reports of, you know, they might consider bringing in somebody else. Um, where, where is that position at right now? And, um, you know, where could it be in the next couple of weeks? Bringing in somebody else is easier said than done. I'm not putting it past this front office. They're very creative. They're very proactive. They find ways to make deals happen. But if we're talking about bringing in somebody via trade, you have to start two places. The first place that you have to start is that the Cavs are about $2.5 million away from the luxury tax, and they are not going into the luxury tax. So the salaries, the outgoing salaries and the incoming salaries would have to align almost perfectly. Um, the second place that you have to 
to start when it when it comes to any kind of trade conversation is what are the Cavs giving up in this hypothetical scenario? What assets do they still have? Um, forget giving up a first-round pick. So now you're talking about future second-round picks, or you're talking about Jetty Austin, or Isaac Okoro, or Dylan Windler, or a Lamar Stevens, or some of the quote-unquote expendable pieces. And then you have to ask yourself, okay, is the guy that we could trade for worth giving up what we would have to give up? First, do we have the pieces to go and get that guy? And if we do, are we giving up too much in order to get him? Like, is the guy that we could get, let's say hypothetically Jay Crowder, because that seems to be the name that everybody is talking about right now because he's available. Um, it's well known around the NBA that he is unhappy in Phoenix and he is available and there are other teams interested in, in him beyond the cap. So let's say it's Jay Crowder. Is, is what you get from Jay Crowder that much better than Dean Wade, Isaac Okoro, Karis LeVert, any of these other internal options that you already have on the roster? Um, I would say, yeah, he probably is. But then you have to turn around and say, okay, is it enough of an upgrade? Is it enough of a step forward to give up what you may have to give up in order to get that kind of play? And I don't know that it is. Um, But I would not put it past this front office to continue to be proactive. They recognize that there is a hole at small forward trading Lowry Markinen, the starting small forward as part of the Donovan Mitchell deal. Like that had to be done, but that was painful because of the role that he was going to have for the Cavs coming into this year. Um, so if you're talking about the internal options, like Davey Bickerstaff said yesterday that there is no front runner. I do not buy that for a minute. That does not pass the smell test. I do believe that there is a front runner. I do believe that there is somebody that JB has in mind. Um, you can talk to 10 different people in the organization. I think half of them would say that it's Isaac Okoro's job to lose. And I think the other half of the people inside the organization would say it's a combination of Dean Wade's job to lose and Karis LeVert's job to lose. So I think those three make the most sense as the third um, as the third piece of what could be a really, really formidable front court for the Cavs, flanked by Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. Um, but the other thing that J.B. Bickerstaff said, and I thought was important, is like there are different schools of thought. Some people look at it and say, let's put the most talented five players on the court all at the same time. And other people look at it and say, let's lean more towards fit. In the past, JB has leaned more towards fit. In the past, it's about how the five guys play off of each other and how the skills complement one another. Right. So given that, I think it's between... This is just me reading between the lines. Um, I think it's between Dean Wade and Isaac Okoro based on how those guys fit alongside the other four. I think it's a better fit than somebody like Karis LeVert. Dean Wade, um, definitely want to talk about that, given a three-year contract extension. I mean, you know, he used to be a guy that you didn't really think much about. He would barely play, and now all of a sudden he's getting three years, and I believe 18, is that right? Um, 18 and a half, yep. Yeah, eight and a half. Um, obviously, they believe in him. I mean, they believe that he can be a key contributor or part of this team. So, like, where did that kind of 
come from and and all of a sudden you're talking about Dean Wade potentially being a starter I just it's kind of something that he had to have kind of had to get after last year I mean it must have been last season that really solidified their their belief in him and when he can the fact that he can help this team going forward look I mean he's the kind of guy that doesn't hurt you at either end of the floor he's not going to wow you at either end of the floor but he doesn't hurt you he makes the right plays he's in the right positions he understands his role. He doesn't go outside of his role. He started 28 games for the Cavs last year, Hayden. Yeah. And J.B. Biggerstaff at times was calling Dean Wade his lucky charm because when there was an injury, either at the three spot or the four spot, he was going to Dean Wade. He brings that versatility. He brings that size. He brings floor spacing. He brings capable outside shooting. So, look, I'm not here to say that Dean Wade is a starter quality small forward in the NBA. There are very few teams around the NBA where he would be a starter. But on this team, he could be because of how he fits alongside the other four guys being Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, Jared Allen, and Evan Mobley. Like, the Cavs don't need a ton from the small forward spot, right? It's just like you need a low-usage guy who can blend into the fabric of, of that particular lineup. And if you think about Dean's game, he's got size, which helps out a smaller backcourt. He's a better defender than people give him credit for, so he can take some of those tougher perimeter matchups so that Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland don't have to. Um, He spaces the floor. The Cavs, in terms of floor spacing last year, were bottom five in the NBA. Now, there are a variety of things that went into that, but that's just the reality of it. And you lost Larry Markinen, one of your better three-point shooters, um, one of the guys that was actually willing to take a high volume of threes and a guy who really, really spaced the floor. So if you're committed to Jared Allen and Evan Mobley and both those guys, well, Mobley's going to be out on the perimeter a little bit more than what he has been in the past. But he still does his best work, I think, inside the arc. Um Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell, they need space. You know, if you put Isaac Okoro out there, the way that the defense is going to defend you is going to be a lot different than the way that they would defend if it was Dean Wade. Um, So he can space the floor. He can create opportunities for Darius Garland and, and, and Donovan Mitchell just by being a threat out there. And all of these options that JB is looking at at small forward, to me, Like, there's a give and take, right? If you want to go offense, you probably go with Levert, uh, Osman, or Windler, right? But you lose defense. You lose defense, especially with Jetty. Um, If you want to go defense, then you go with Okoro or Stevens. But you're not getting a lot of offense from either guy. So there's always this give-and-take, push-pull when it comes to any of these decisions for JB at the three. Dean, though, there's a little bit of a blend of offense and defense, or enough of a blend of offense-defense, where you don't feel like you're giving up one just so that you can have the other in the starting lineup. So stylistically, I think he's probably the best fit. And he doesn't need the ball in his hands to be successful. Like, (laughs) a big part of the offense is going to be Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, Evan Mobley, Jared Allen. 
Um, So you need somebody who doesn't need the ball in their hands consistently to be effective. So if you were a betting man, you'd bet on who would you bet to be the, the, the game one starter at the small forward spot? Yeah, I'm not making the decision. Um, obviously, that's going to be J.B. Bickerstaff. At this point, I think it's – if I was a betting man, I would go with a Coro. Yeah. Um, but there is plenty of time here in training camp for that to change. And the other thing that I would say is it's not like there is a clear-cut best option. You know what I mean? Like, we can make an argument for why these guys make sense as the starting small forward. But we can make an equally um, we can make an equally good argument against them for the starting spot. So when you can do that, you understand that none of these options are great. And because of that, like, this is a fluid situation. Like, he could stumble upon some kind of lineup combination at some point in the preseason and say, wow, I really, really like how that looked based on the eye test, based on the film, based on the numbers. Um, So I'm going to go with that one in an upset. You know what I mean? So like, there's a lot of time here in training camp. There's a lot of time in preseason. This could change as the weeks go on, as the days go on, because, it is such it is such a cluster of guys without anyone that is a clear cut best best possibility i just i go back to and you know i think that starting is it, it's it is what it is but it's about you know who plays more at the end of the day starting uh-huh. is starting i just i go back to the depth i i just i love the depth you got neto you got karis lavert you got Akoro or dean wade or jetty you got Kevin Love, you got Robin Lopez. I mean, you got some legit depth on this team. And I don't feel bad about any of those guys coming off the bench. I don't feel question marks about them. I don't feel like what you might not get anything from them. I feel like they are that you know, there there's there's a day in the time and age where Ricky Rubio, we're we're a lineup of uh of Neto slash Ricky Rubio, Karis Levert, um uh, Jetty Osman, Kevin Love, and Robin Lopez would have been a pretty good starting five in the NBA. You know, so I think that uh, yeah, I think that I like those guys coming off the bench a whole lot. They're in a good position. There's no doubt about it. Um, obviously, the weak point is is the small forward spot. Yeah. Um, I think everybody would admit that, including the Cavs. But this is the NBA. Like, who's great at every position in the league? You know, what I mean, like, there's going to be some kind of weakness at some point for whether it's Phoenix or Golden State or Boston or Milwaukee. And I, I just look at it. So Donovan Mitchell came from the Utah Jazz. Nobody would be like, hey, Royce O'Neal, great starter on the wing. You know what I mean? But yeah. like that worked for them based on the skill set that he brought to the table. They just needed somebody to space the floor, knock down threes, and take some of those really, really difficult matchups on the defensive end of the floor. That's really, based on what the Cavs are running out there in the starting lineup, that's really all the Cavs are going to need to do. So you have to ask yourself, who fits those parameters? Um, and I keep going back to Isaac Okora, and I keep going back to Dean Wade. That, that to me, would be most logical. One of those two guys. It makes sense. It makes sense. Um, 
Any any observations early in training camp? I know they've only practiced for two days. They practiced today. They practiced yesterday. Um, you guys, I haven't been out there to practice yet. Are you guys? You're not able to see a ton of practice, I assume. No, we see shooting afterward. Yeah, shooting afterwards. Yeah, that's how kind of it goes. So, um, you know, you've talked to the guys. I mean, any any early observations yeah. and and anything they've said that has really stu- stood out to you? Well, I talked to a couple of people on the side today after practice, and is raved about Donovan Mitchell. The level yeah. of, of shot creation, the level of explosiveness that he brings to the table, and the level of competition that he has brought to the court. Donovan hates losing. I talked to him about this yesterday. He hates losing, whether it's a drill, whether it's a scrimmage, whether it's a game. That level of competition that he's also brought, I think that's going to raise um, raise the level of competition around the team. I think that's going to have a trickle-down effect when it comes to making the most of shoot-arounds, making the most of practices, making the most of post-practice shooting sessions, and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I, I asked JB a little bit yesterday about welcoming Donovan here and the level of responsibility that the players have of making him comfortable. And the way that I phrased it is, yeah, you've had good players, but your guys haven't played with somebody like Donovan. Right. Not a player who is at this level, at this stage of his career, that can consistently do the things that he can do. And there's adjustment when bringing a superstar player. There's adjustment when bringing an alpha personality to the fold. Yeah. And um, everything that I heard today is that what he was able to do on the court, like had the guys not in awe, but had the guys feeling like, whoa, this is a guy, this is the kind of guy that we have not had. This is a different level of good than what we even had last year. And I think Donovan is going to help Darius because of the attention that he commands. And I think Darius is going to help Donovan because of the attention that he commands. And that's something that I don't know that we've spent enough time talking about Hayden. And it's something Mm -hmm. that I'm writing tomorrow morning. There's been so much conversation about how does Donovan help the Cavs? How does, how does him coming here take this team to another level? And I don't think there's been enough conversation about how Donovan coming to this kind of situation with this kind of roster can take his game to another level. And that's no offense to what he left behind in Utah, because that was a really, really good team for a lot of years. And they were the number one seed in the Western conference before, and they won 60 games and all that kind of stuff. Right. But coming here and sharing the court with an all-star caliber guard like Darius Garland, that's different than anything Donovan had in Utah. And it's going to make things easier on him. And I think he was exhausted. I think he was exhausted because of all of the responsibility that he had for the Jazz. And he's not going to have to have that same level of responsibility. And I think lifting some of that responsibility and some of that burden is going to free him up in a different kind of way. And I think he's going to benefit greatly from coming to this kind of situation. 
Yeah, you're you're right in that we've talked about so much about how the Cavaliers are going to benefit, but you're right. I mean, well, it, and it goes without saying that if the Cavaliers benefit or if Donovan benefits, then the Cavaliers are going to benefit, you know? So mm-hmm. it, makes, it mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's going to be a very symbiotic relationship and where they both can benefit from each other, uh, where, you know, Donovan can can benefit from having Darius and Evan and um, and Jarrett. And, you know, the Cavaliers can benefit because Donovan Donovan's better and because he makes, you know, things easier for everybody else. So I think... Yeah, I, I told you last podcast, I just I, I think that it's the fit is absolutely perfect. I really do. I think it's a, the perfect yep. fit at the perfect time for the perfect um, the perfect team. It's just they don't need him to carry the franchise in the same kind of way. And I think he's capable of carrying a franchise. He has shown that throughout the yeah. course of his career. And he prepares himself to be that franchise carrier. But I think there's a level of excitement and there's a level of rejuvenation here that he doesn't have to carry the franchise in the same kind of way. Right. This is a 44-win team that he joined. This is a team on the rise that he joined. This is a team that was sort of established that he joined. That's different. Right. Right. It, it definitely is different. And, I'm, you know, I think everybody's looking like for if it. you would have. Like, think about what, what he would have been responsible for had he joined the Knicks. Yeah. Or had he got traded to, I don't know, like the Detroit Pistons. Like, one of the teams that, that, hadn't, that hadn't performed to the level that the Cavs did and didn't have the same setup moving into the future that the Cavs do. I think I think it would have had tremendous weight on his shoulders in terms of just the pressure, um, yeah. And I think that uh, I think that Cleveland's a perfect fit because I don't think the pressure's all on him. I think it's a collective team effort. I think if he went to New York, I think that yes, the spotlight would be a lot bigger, and that's you know that's fun. But at the same time, I think there'd be a tremendous amount of pressure. And we know if he's not performing and the Knicks aren't winning, you know that that yeah. starts to take a toll. So. I think in Cleveland, they're going to win right away. I don't think the pressure's all on Donovan. I think he just, you know, Darius is kind of the face right now, and Donovan may become that soon. Um, but I think that because of that, I think they they both take pressure off each other, and I think the whole situation just becomes a lot, you know, easier where, where everybody's handling their own weight. Yep. I agree with that. Um, and I think you're going to see that level of freedom with Donovan. I think you're going to see that level of freedom with, Evan and, and with Darius as well. Um, I think, like you said, everybody is going to help each other. Um, and JB has been preaching since he got here, really. It's, it's we over me. Um, it's how do we allow you guys to be the best version of yourselves. Um, and I think having, having this level of talent that fits together well enough is going to allow all of these guys to individually be the best versions of themselves. They're not going to be asked to do things that they aren't capable of. They're not going to be asked to do things that, um, that aren't best for the skills that they bring to the table. Right. Um, I, I want to ask this question because I think it's, uh, I think it's a difficult one. How how do you guard the Cavaliers? How do you defend the Cavaliers, given their lineup right now? I mean, you know, the NBA is a very offensive league, and mm. this team has so many weapons in different ways, shapes, and forms. 
So what? How would you defend this Cavaliers team? I would. So it depends, obviously, who's that fifth member of the starting lineup. Right. But I would use I would use whoever that is. Um. So let's say it's Isaac Okoro. Whoever that defender is that's against Isaac Okoro, I would use as the the guy who shades closer to Darius and closer to Donovan. But it's just not an easy situation that the defense is going to be in, right? Because the threat of Donovan or the threat of Darius is is enough to wreck what a defense wants to do. I was talking to Donovan Mitchell a little bit about this yesterday, Hayden, and there were times last year that Darius saw all of the attention from the opposing defense. In in the right. game against Atlanta, extra defenders were thrown at him. Guys that were supposed to be guarding Karis LeVert didn't care about Karis LeVert. And they shaded off of him, or they just blitzed Darius. Um, and Donovan was saying, like, because of the space that he brings and the threat that he brings, like, that defender the guy who's supposed to be defending him can't get close to the free throw line to try and deter Darius from driving to the basket. Right. Right. Like that guy, instead of standing at the free throw line is now going to be standing at the elbow or just outside the elbow in the NBA, that sliver of space, that extra sliver of space for somebody like Darius is the difference between him getting all the way to the basket for him having to stop wherever he is and kick the ball out to Isaac Okoro or whoever, right? And then if that guy decides, you know what, I am going to shade off of Donovan Mitchell a little bit more, and I'm going to go more towards the free throw line as opposed to just outside the elbow. Well, one of the better um, catch-and-shoot three-point guys in the NBA, Donovan Mitchell, is getting a cleaner look than what he would get. And it goes vice versa, too. Um, And then if those other defenders stay home on Darius and they stay home on Donovan, then you have options to get the ball to Jared Allen or you get the ball to Evan Mobley. So I just think the Cavs offense can be more diverse and they can attack opponents in a different kind of way. And conversely, I think defenses are going to have a hard time scheming up well enough and having enough great individual defenders to handle all of the offensive threats that the Cavs can put on the floor at one time. And if you take it another step further, like if Karis LeVert plays with Darius and Donovan together, now all of a sudden you have a ton of shot creation. Karis, Darius, Donovan. They can all run pick and roll. They can all take defenders off the bounce. They can all score well enough. So it creates a lot of different headaches for opposing defense. Yeah, I mean, that's why I asked the question, because I just, there's, it seems like there's one way or another the Cavaliers are going to get you offensively. Um, especially if, you know, a guy like Dean Wade can step up and, and hit knockdown shots and that, three, right. that you know, that, that three, that whoever it is, um, if they can be, effectively beyond the three-point line i think it just makes them that much more dangerous so i got i think it's going to be a nightmare for for the for people to for teams to defend the Cavs. and then i think on the opposite end i think cavaliers you know donovan and darius aren't going to be great defensively but i think when you have you know the big three back behind them i think that makes things easier as well well the other thing that i would say is um 
and Donovan talked about this yesterday, if not as much is going to be needed um, from him on the offensive end, because he's playing alongside Darius, because the offense at times can run through Evan Mobley or Jared Allen, um, because Karis LeVert can be a primary creator, because Ricky Rubio is going to be out there on the court, whatever the case may be. Um, if not as much is going to be expected of him on that end of the floor, it's going to allow him to expend more energy on defense. And he knows that he was picked on defensively in Utah. He knows what his reputation is on the defensive end of the floor. And he said it point blank yesterday that I can defend, I can defend, but he made it sound like too much was asked of him offensively. And he just didn't have enough to give on the defensive end. We'll see. We'll see. He's got to go out there and he's got to prove it. He's got to show that he can be a plus defender as opposed to the defender that he's been the last couple of years. The Cavs believe he can be because he's strong, because he's long, because he's athletic, and because when he came into the NBA, he didn't have a reputation as a wretched defender. Um, But he's got to show that. He's got to make that commitment to it. But if you're buying into the fact that he can be a better defender for, for other reasons, the one is he won't have to do as much offensively. And that can allow him to focus more on the defensive end. That can allow him to give more effort on the defensive end of the floor. So that could help. I just think given what they can be offensively, and all of this has to come together, right? And there are going to be growing pains. But given what they can be offensively and the diverse ways that I think they can attack a defense, and given the fact that they have Jared Allen and Evan Mobley, two all-defensive-type players, I think the Cavs can be one of the rare teams in the NBA this year, Hayden, that is top 10 in offense and top 10 in defense. Yep, I, I think they that. have that potential. I would completely agree with that. I would completely agree with that. And, you know, the, the same thing goes for Darius, too. I mean, if Darius is having less of him asked offensively, right. maybe he can even step it up on the defensive end, you know? And look, there are limitations that the Cavs are going to have defensively because of the backcourt that they're running out there with Darius, with Donovan. They don't have the size, right? They don't have the same level of physicality. Um, but but you can you can get by when you have quality defenders, enough quality defenders around those guys. And I think the Cavs can have enough quality defenders around those guys. I agree with that. I agree with that. All right, Chris, anything else you got in your mind uh, as training camp begins? No, I don't think so. All right. Well, training camp continues for the Cavaliers. They are two days in, and uh, we are going to be at the season in no time. Um, So, again, what better time to get Chris's subtext? $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial. All you got to do is go to cleveland.com slash Cavs. uh, Click the blue banner at the top of the page. Put your phone number in, and you'll be good to go. Two-week free trial. Again, $3.99 $3.99 a month after that. All kinds of news, analysis, insights, and straight to your phone from Chris before it goes anywhere else. So cleveland.com slash Cavs. Click the blue banner at the top of the page. Otherwise, the season's underway. Exciting times for the Cleveland Cavaliers. And I think that, you know, it's going to be a process. It's, there's going to be some growing pains at times, I think. But all in all, there's a lot to be excited about it in terms of this Cavaliers team. So excited to see uh, excited to see it all come together. And we'll definitely be there over the next couple of weeks. And uh, 
again, just looking forward to this uh, this season finally getting going. As Darius Garland said earlier today, it's great vibes, a lot of energy, a lot of guys that's starting to go to know everything, get to know everybody, but immaculate vibes in the gym right now. <laughs> love it, love it, as it should be. I mean, what else is there to be? I mean. They got great, you know, they got Donovan. They got all this, these guys coming back from off of a great year. How could it be anything else? Immaculate vibes. Immaculate <laughs> vibes. All right. Well, I'm wishing you immaculate vibes for the rest of the day. I'm wishing you all listeners an immaculate vibes for the rest of the day and the rest of the week. Appreciate you guys joining us on the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. Chris, thank you as always. And we will talk soon. Yep. All right, everybody. Thank you. We'll talk soon. Enjoy yourselves. And uh, we'll be back next week as the Cavaliers continue training camp. Take care.